Hello and welcome back to La Manito Muerta. Here in Israel, we are at war. My heart goes out to the families of the murdered, the missing, and the abducted in the south of the country by the terrorist attack of the Hamas organization on October 7th. We suffered an unprecedented disaster, both in size and omission, and we cannot remain silent. We are all hopeful for the quick return of all the civilians and soldiers that were abducted and for the recovery of those who survived but saw their loved ones murdered and their houses burned. Today, we will skip the musical intro. I want to share first of all with you that I hesitated much whether to record and upload an episode in these days of war because I thought it would be disrespectful in these difficult days that we are experiencing, impudent to those who were uh, personally hurt, those who still do not even know what happened to their loved ones. In the first days after the attack, the whole country was in shock, total disbelief. And now, when personal stories are beginning to emerge, of families who fought, who were torn, children who saw death before their eyes, elderly being kidnapped, babies being kidnapped, women being raped, bodies mutilated, tears are choking my throat and breaking out. I consulted with many other fellow podcasters. What should we do? I posted the question within different forums of uh, podcast creators and I received a variety of answers. Most of us, naturally, by instinct, went into a few days of silence, of freezing any content, putting on hold episodes that were already scheduled, all out of respect for those who suffered. As the scale of the disaster became clearer, this feeling continued to pulsate and grow. The answer to this dilemma also depends, of course, the type of content of each creator. For example, podcasts related to the world of entertainment, performance, music, stand-up, gossip. For them, the reluctance to continue business as usual is, of course, understandable, natural. The same goes for podcasts about sports or culture, Those who deal with uh, current events and news or history probably find it easier. For me personally, I felt very uncomfortable going on as usual with the planned episodes. My podcast, as uh, those who have listened already know, deals with the political events in Chile in the 1970s from a time and place that seem so far away from us right now. After a few days, other voices began to emerge. We must create content. It's crucial to upload new episodes, not because life goes on, but because we realize some people are also looking for escapism, a chance to turn off the news and relax, uh, to hear something completely unrelated, or just to be there for our followers that are used to listen to us, especially for those podcasts that upload episodes regularly.
However, because of the specific topic of my podcast, I continue to feel uncomfortable. Because, after all, what kind of escapism exactly am I providing here? Am I going to keep talking about my latest book, The Dead Hand, and expanding on its chapters? Am I going to keep talking about Chile's dictatorship, its byproducts and consequences, when people here are suffering and bleeding? But slowly, the realization began to penetrate that those who don't want to listen right now, who are not ready for that yet, won't open it anyways, while those of you who are regular listeners wait for the next episode. We all have some kind of responsibility to keep going. So if you're listening right now, that kind of proves the point, doesn't it? And if people still can't come back and listen to their favorite podcast, then when they decide it's time to listen again, the episodes will be here waiting. So yes, I have to continue. We have to continue, I said to myself. Just with fine-tuning, with sensitivity, of course. This dilemma, whether to go into wireless silence or keep on uploading episodes, reminded me of the terrorist attacks on September 11th, 2001. At the time, I was living in Boston, the city from which the terrorist planes departed, and I was working in the financial industry. And of course, one of the results of the 9-11 attack was a very sharp fall in the stock market. We were all shocked, with great agony in our hearts. No one was in the mood to continue working, certainly not in a profession whose essence is sales. My manager at the time, a tough yet kind-hearted fellow named Larry, he taught me an important lesson. He said, you know, you have to keep in touch with your customers now, now more than ever. True, this will not be a sales call by nature, but one of listening. Because when the stock market goes up and there are nice profits, it's easy. Everyone is calling and trying to convince customers to realize profits and then buy more securities. But when the stock markets fall and the accounts are bleeding and you're the one who recommended buying this or that stock, then it is much harder. But you know, Larry said, customers need and want to hear from you, to say, I'm here. I'm here to help you decide whether to sell at a loss in order to minimize damages or to stay inside and ride the falls and hope for a recovery. Be there. Whatever they decide, you have to be there for them. Provide a shoulder to lean on, a listening ear. Now, obviously, this is a completely different event nowadays, but I think that the same approach applies. So, okay, matter resolved. We go on, we record, and we upload new episodes. But what type of content should the episode deal with? Continuing as usual is out of the question, for me at least. Because how do you relate to the unimaginable events of recent days? Sure, I could swim between the drops, that's an Israeli expression, meaning going around the bush, 
but that seems like a cowardly attitude. So I thought maybe bringing some personal stories from the families of the abductees, those who were kidnapped, those stories hit home with me. They are also my story, my family. After all, we are still waiting, even 50 years later, to find out what happened with my father, who was kidnapped in Chile. But I immediately shied away from making such a comparison between the disappearing political abductees in South America in the 1970s and 80s and the Israelis who were kidnapped into Gaza. Not because there are not similar and parallel lines, but because we all hope that these families will soon be able to hug their loved ones. So my story doesn't really provide any encouraging gospel, doesn't bring anything positive to the table right now, nothing to ease their pain, no hope to give. So when I started building the lineup for this episode, especially in the Hebrew version, I thought there was no choice but to touch on the politics, the policies that brought us to this disaster. And I even prepared a kind of a manifesto, a long list of omissions and failures that allowed such a disaster to happen. But on second thought, it feels it's too early for that. Not for me personally. I think that uh, it's crucial to allow criticism in times like that, to allow demonstrations It's a fine-tuning tool uh, within democratic societies. But perhaps to us as a whole, as a public, as society, we need some more time. We'll get to that. The moment hasn't yet come to fruition. True, we have a corrupt prime minister who is detached from reality. He's surrounded by opaque people without any management skills, and this is because for decades he has distanced from the centers of power all the talented, bright personnel who could threaten his leadership. So his whole purpose is to evade his trial, and on this altar he's willing to sacrifice us all. But as I said, this is not the time to deal with his failures, with his crimes really, At the moment, in my opinion, the focus must be on returning the hostages, identifying all the bodies that have not yet been identified and bringing relief and comfort to the civilians who were harmed. I think pretty much everybody in Israel understands that Netanyahu's political career is over with this fiasco. So we will deal with that as soon as we are able to overcome the current crisis. I also hear a lot of voices here in Israel calling for revenge. Words like flattening Gaza, making it into one big parking lot, have become in these sad days legit. Now, revenge may be a natural emotion, certainly after such a great disaster. Yet, I hope and believe that for most people, 
It is a statement in the heat of the moment, a need to vent out, with no real intention behind it. I only hope that the ones in charge, those responsible for our national security, will know how to stop the politicians and the people on the extreme parties who lead these statements for two main reasons. Reason number one, as stated, the focus must be, first of all, on the return of the hostages. Right now, more than 220 people, maybe even more, many of them young children and elders, are still captive within Gaza. Continuing the massive bombing of Gaza will certainly lead to many more casualties, and among them, most of the abductees, whether directly from our actions or by Hamas murdering and torturing them in live broadcast, either as a bargaining chip or as a last step of despair, revenge. These are not sides we can withstand. Second reason is from a military point of view. I believe it would be a mistake to bring in the infantry troops right now. After all, the initial investigations indicate that the attack of October 7th was well planned, including the takeover of military bases and paralyzing the army, including diversionary operations and the use of new weapons and methods of warfare that, that have not been tried until now. So perhaps part of their plan from the beginning, was to seduce the Israeli army to enter Gaza. And once inside, more bad surprises await, more weapons that we are totally unprepared for. Booby traps, tunnels that are just waiting to explode. So, I'm asking, how many more will pay with their lives? Politically, we have to think about the day after. If we enter Gaza, who exactly will rule? The Palestinian Authority or Israel? Will we remain there as occupiers or will go into a full move of annexation of the Gaza Strip? Or maybe just appointing a local puppet leader? Or insert UN international forces in order to create some sort of a buffer zone? These are all considerations that must be decided before entering hastily just to garner votes or to appease those revenge feelings, or as a futile effort to correct the impression, to erase our memory from the epic fiasco. We must concentrate on rescuing the hostages, not on punishment, not on revenge. I will end with two statements one that I think is already prevalent among large segments of the public here in Israel, and the other that is perhaps a little less popular here in Israel in these times. The first one is that after the dust of battle clears, Netanyahu must retire from political life. And if he doesn't, we, the public, must set him aside instantly regardless of the outcome of the war or any investigations yet to come. As I said, 
I will talk about his series of omissions and failures in another time. And from what I see right now, this insight is already spreading out and reached by many politicians, both within the coalition and also within the Likud, which is Netanyahu's own party in particular, and obviously among the public itself, even between many of those who for years saw themselves as enthusiastic supporters of Netanyahu. The second statement is, let's remember that there are also people on the other side. Families, mothers hurt, children and fathers. We already have caused thousands of casualties in Gaza with the massive air bombings in the last two, three weeks. True, we were exposed to the greatest ugliness of human beings, those who acted blindly and without a drop of compassion out of ideology. Just like the Nazis, many of those acted out under the influence of a dangerous physical law that I call the mob. That's right. This is like a really scary drug. When people band together because of fear and or anger, not only the mind stops thinking, but also morality and compassion. We witness this with all those ignorant people who took advantage of the attack and enter right behind the Hamas troops in order to loot, murder, and burn people. And yes, everyone who participated in these actions, whether they were officially Hamas or just people being part of a mob, should pay for it. The law of mobs, as you probably know, spans around the world. We have seen it in racial riots, for example, in the US and in France. Uh, we have seen it also here in Israel, when angry civilians, both Jews and Arabs, committed crimes of lynchings and revenge marches, destroying property and maiming humans. So my hope is we find compassion in our hearts, not only towards the people on our side that suffer, but also for people on the other side. Thank you for listening to this episode. I feel that I have many, many more things to say, but time will come to share more thoughts and ideas into this topic that I wish I wouldn't have to address. I send a big hug to all the families who were hurt on both sides of this conflict, to the ones that are burying their dead or waiting to find out what happened to them, hoping that out of the destruction we will rise stronger, which is something already happening within Israel in the mobilization of all the citizens, whether it's through acts like blood donations, food campaigns, money, raising funds, or even people volunteering to help farmers that have lost all their uh, employees and went into the combat zones to help in the search 
of uh, missing people in equipment. I myself will be going in two days into the south of Israel to help farmers and also will be participating in some uh, activities for young children. And I hope that I will be able to bring you some of the voices from uh, that experience. Thank you for listening. Your thoughts and comments are welcome. You can contact me directly and post them on my Facebook page and tell me from which part of the world you're listening. Thank you very much.